Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. Welcome to episode 16 of the Let's Talk Government podcast. We're going to talk about where do you get your news. I'm joined by Dr. Josh Birkenpaz and Dr. Amelia Pridemore from the Political Science Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Both of them have taught topics courses on media and politics in the past, and you'll recognize them from prior episodes of the podcast. So Dr. Birkenpaz, I'm going to start with you. What is the role of the media in a democratic government? Good question. Uh, in my classes, I teach students that uh, media, uh, mass media, as we used to say, uh, is an important linkage institution, uh, an informal institution that links the people to their elected representatives. Uh, the institution of the media uh, has evolved over time, um, but it has always served this important function um, in a representative democracy, right? We elect representatives to govern for us um, to link the people to their elected uh, representatives. And of course, the nature of that linkage has changed over time. Uh, originally, uh, you could perhaps think of, um, you know, local newspapers and pamphlets and things like this. Uh, a little bit later, we have the invention of the radio, television, fast forward cable news. Uh, and of course, today we have uh, the internet and social media. Um, but the basic, I suppose, reason that we have the media and need the media in a democracy is to provide that linkage, uh, to provide uh, information uh, to citizens as well as to our elected representatives um, about what the people want, um, about important issues um, and things like this. Dr. Pridemore, same question to you. What do you see as the role of the media in a democratic government? So I would say that the media's role in a democratic government is uh, twofold, very related concepts. Um, one of that of what's called the fourth estate and the other of what's called the watchdog role. And why the media is often called, by, uh, called the fourth estate is that we have three branches of government, you know, legislative, executive, judicial. Well, the media is often called the fourth estate because it provides another check and balance on those three branches. So basically, and that's, that's where the watchdog concept comes in. The watchdog role means that the media is there to keep an eye on what these systems are doing, to let the people know what's up. Um, and likewise, not just, you know, parrot back the facts as government officials would want it, but also be, you know, be sort of the person who says, wait a minute, what's up with this? Really? Um, so that's where Watchdog comes in. Basically, they're, they, they're guardians of the democracy um, in, and keep a would-be or sometimes actually um, problematic government from abusing the public that it's supposed to serve. 
I imagine probably one of the most famous examples of this is the Watergate scandal. Without the media, we would never have known what was going on there, although I'm kind of dating us a little bit. So so that kind of leads me into my next question. I'll open it up for either one of you. So why do we need an independent media? Why don't we, don't we just have a U.S. media that's controlled by the state? Wouldn't we still get the same information? Well, you... You actually gave an excellent example right there of Watergate. So in my former line of work as a journalist, um, the gold standard, the, the term that we used in multiple organizations where I worked was, oh, are you going to get a Woodward and Bernstein? That story would be a Woodward and Bernstein, meaning Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the t- team of Washington Post reporters who essentially brought down Nixon during Watergate. Um, if we have an independent media that state can, that is not state controlled, um, two things happen. First of all, again, that watchdog role comes in. We're able to keep an eye on nefarious activity like Watergate. Um, the other thing about it is, is inevitably speaking, when you have shifts in power in government, such as, you know, when you have a Republican White House and and a Democratic White House, as we've seen right now. Um, Well, okay, one person is in charge and that person says, I don't like what you publish. Here's what I like. Um, Inevitably, one side will say, yay, my competitor or person I disagree with they, they don't get to speak out, but I do. Well, guess what? When there's a power shift, the other thing happens and all of a sudden you can't speak out, but the person you disagree with can. Um, you've got to have an independent voice out there so nobody is silenced, when there, especially when there's an inevitable shift in power. I'd add to that, um, you know, we need an independent uh, yeah, if we're going to, I suppose, maintain our uh, small armed Republican institutions, right? The Constitution uh, creates a republic. Again, we elect representatives uh, to govern for us. Um, and as part of the system of separation of powers and checks and balances, uh, the media has evolved over time as an extension, right, of those principles. Uh, as Amelia was talking about with respect to this idea of the fourth estate um, and the, the watchdog uh, idea as well. Um, if it's not independent, Right, we lose that sort of watchdog function. Uh, we lose the ability um, to um, sort of keep public officials uh, honest, right? Uh, root out corruption uh, and things like this. Um, it's also important, I think, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but um, it's the media is important to the socialization process, right? We all start off, um, you know, think of it as blank slates, if you will, as uh, empty sponges or something like this, right? And we learn about the political world around us. Uh, at first from my parents, later from our peers, then we go to school, uh, then we learn from church groups and things like this. But as we advance down the life cycle, um, we pretty much get our information uh, from the media, right? From uh, news sources and things like this. And if we don't have an independent source of of news, um, our picture of the way the world works, um, the way that uh, the political system is running and things like this, um, will not be accurate, we won't be able to form accurate judgments, be easily misled, um, and all sorts of bad things like that. Not to say that those bad things don't happen with an independent media, um, perhaps that's uh, an, another story. Uh, last thing I'd say here is, uh, with respect to the idea of 
uh, the media being a, a watchdog, sometimes it's criticized uh, for being a lapdog, right? And that uh, we have in the United States in particular and other Western countries. Um, independent, sure, but also sort of in the pocket, right? Of, of uh, corporate interests um, and really um, not being as critical uh, as they may be really pandering to a public that perhaps um, has a greater appetite for, um, here's another term, right? Infotainment, right? So entertainment uh, news and things like this rather than, you know, hard hitting investigative journalism uh, that I suppose we uh, in academia would associate with um, genuine uh, independent journalism. You know, that's, that's actually a good point. It made me think of, I think I watched four episodes of different news channels last week that all ended with the pandas at the National Zoo sliding down the hill in the snow. So, you know, it's cute, but is it early news? So, all right. So then I'm going to kind of pose to you. We've, we've heard comments, you know, the media's bias. Um, I used to work up in Minneapolis and depending on who you were talking to, they used to call the Star and Tribune the Red Star or the Blue Star, depending on if they thought it was too liberal or not. So, so how do you kind of weed through the bias and selection of news stories and agenda setting that seems to be in the media and who kind of sets that agenda? Amelia, uh, Dr. Primer, we'll start off with you on that. Um, so agenda setting is extraordinarily nuanced, uh, much more nuanced than uh, most of your textbooks will tell you. So the traditional view of agenda setting is that news media sets the agenda for what we have basically how democracy unfolds. The, pr the thing about agenda setting though, is that um, I tell people that when it comes to, when it comes to the news, whether it be print or broadcast alike, there's always behind the scenes, a lot of puppeteers that you don't see that have much more control over than, than an individual reporter or anchor does. Um, so, and it's, and there's so many that are outside of a given news organization as well, namely advertisers, kind of like what um, Josh was saying about the uh, role of advertise, uh, the, you know, corporate interests. Um, well, especially with the economy going down the tubes, you wind up with, um, you wind up with a greater need to keep advertisers going because there's always been a term of, oh yeah, that'll sell papers. No, you gotta sell ads. That's the bread and butter, the greatest source of revenue for a media outlet. You, you can sell all the papers you want, but if nobody's advertising in it, um, that outlet is dead. So the, the thing that I would say is um, you've got agenda setting. One point that an author, uh, Dr. Danagal Young, um, author of a book called Irony and Outrage uh, that talks about the rise of uh, uh, a lot of talk radio on the right and satirical comedy programs that have been popular with those on the left. One of the things that she points out is that um, sometimes advertisers are a part of what gets controlled uh, by what she calls basically these big corporate media executives that will sell something that is um, le uh, uh, infotainment, as Josh has said. They will sell infotainment and 
in the process of it, when they go to advertisers, hey, here's something flashy that a lot of people are going to watch. Don't you want to advertise with that? Oh, sure, man. Everybody's going to see my product and they're going to buy it. So sometimes advertisers are played just as much as the advertisers play the outlet. And also individual reporters get their um, stories hacked and edited all the time by editors. And sometimes, sometimes I've looked at stories that I've written and I'll be like, I didn't write half of this. What? <laughs> After I went to print. So there's so many, um, there's so many people pulling the strings inside and outside of a given media outlet that the notion of agenda setting is, um, is absolutely not clear cut. Well, and I imagine we also have to look at that if they did a news story on everything that was happening, it would be just too overwhelming, right? Because they have to pick and choose and they have to pick things that um, they know people will watch versus ones that they won't watch. So interesting. All right, Dr. Bergenpaz, we're going to ask you the big question since this podcast was uh, sent in by a viewer. Where do you get your news and why do you get it from there? That's a good question. I get my news from a variety of sources, uh, from uh, the morning commute, right? Listening to NPR uh, is usually on um, in the car, so a lot of uh, NPR coverage. Uh, periodically, too, you know, if I'm feeling, uh, I don't know, feisty or feel like uh, something different, I'll switch over to uh, conservative talk radio just to see uh, what they're talking about over there. Um, uh, usually a lot of uh, sensationalism and uh, sort of yelling and um, blaming of the, you know, the, the political establishment for the, the woes of America. Uh, that's good. That's good talk radio, right? Keep your, uh, your audience interested. Uh, lots of interesting research out there about not just talk radio, but uh, partisan media in general about how um, the goal is essentially to incite anger, right? Because anger is a powerful motivator. Um, it will keep you tuned in, right? It'll keep you engaged because you're upset and it'll keep you coming back because it gives you a little bit of uh, dopamine up there in the brain as well. Um, and we get all sorts of people um, for better or worse, um, you know, coming back time and time again, and perhaps only consuming, um, you know, from their preferred um, um, partisan news source. Uh, but as I was saying, variety of sources. I also get news uh, from my newsfeed, right, on social media, Twitter, uh, et cetera. Um, and then um, from personal searches, right? If uh, a story is interesting, I want to learn more about it. Uh, if I want to share something in class, um, you know, you just do a little bit of research. We live in an amazing time, right? When all the information you could ever want and more is at your fingertips. Uh, you know, you do a quick Google search and uh, plenty of information comes up. It's generally uh, ranked by generally uh, ranked by, um, you know, the sort of popularity of the search and, and things like this. So uh, typically, right, your, your big, larger mainstream news sources will be towards the top and you can click through pages uh, and get less, um, more sources with less, I suppose, uh, visibility, right? And uh, I think the rule of thumb um, is to, you know, try to understand a story from, um, a variety, again, of perspectives, right? Not just accepting the, the sort of Facebook meme or something like this as uh, the gospel truth, right? If, if you see something and it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, if you see something that seems too sensational to be real, uh, it probably is, right? And quite often, you know, within the span of a couple of minutes, you can uh, fact check for yourself, right? If something 
uh, is real uh, or not. So I don't know if that was a short answer or a long answer, but the, the short answer is from a variety of sources. Well, before we get to Dr. Pridemore, I'm going to put you on the spot sec for a second here, Dr. Birkenpaz. Do you find that your consumption of broadcast media is, has gone down or changed? Because I know you have small children, so you mm -hmm. probably don't sit down at the news, at the dinner hour watching the news. Do you find that that changes because you have small children? Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier about uh, the, the panda story being at the end of all of the, the broadcasts uh, the other day. That's uh, something I talk about uh, in my classes as well. Um, I, I recommend to students to, you know, sit down some night and watch the nightly news and flip between, uh, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Uh, and it's remarkable, uh, you know, talk about agenda setting, how they more or less have the same stories, more or less in the same order, more or less at the same time, right? So they can still fit in the ads and things like this. Um, and, you know, you have to you have to wonder what sort of, you know, decision-making has gone into choosing those stories as opposed to uh, the many others uh, that they could cover, right? Whose interests are being uh, promoted and, and things like this. Um, so broadcast news, not so much. Um, I do um, watch uh, fairly regularly uh, local news, right? Which comes on at... Uh, 10:30 around here. Um, children are sleeping, of course, um, so I can uh, watch that. Um, pros and cons of, of local news as well. Uh, but then I should mention also uh, the the late shows, right? Uh, Colbert um, and of course um, uh, Trevor Noah over at Comedy Central as well. Um, even though it's infotainment, um, sometimes it's nice to be entertained while uh, you learn about uh, new and interesting stories. Um, and those guys, well, I'd say Trevor Noah a little better than. Uh, Stephen Colbert these days doesn't necessarily follow um, the sort of mainstream network news sources. Yeah. All right, Dr. Pridemore, let's talk about you. Where do you get your news from and why? Um, so I'm uh, so I'm big on uh, local newspapers first, because the thing is, is not to not to knock um, my former colleagues in broadcast. But the thing about print versus broadcast is that in print journalism, you oftentimes have um, just more space. You literally have more space versus say 30 seconds to run in and run out like in television because just television's limited by the amount of airtime that they have. It's not that their reporters are any better or any worse. It's just they, they're limited by space. So if you really want some depth, um, a lot of times the best places to go are to a print source. Um, uh, not to discount uh, maybe, for example, documentaries and the like that you see in broadcast, but generally speaking, a print outlet is going to have more time and more depth. Also, when it comes to local versus national, sometimes local gets thrown aside for um, for a national site, whether it be print or broadcast alike. And what happens is, is the local papers are the ones who do the groundwork not only for you and what's happening in your day-to-day -day life that affects you the most but a lot of times they're the ones who lay the groundwork even for the national guys a lot of times nothing gets picked up by say the washington post or nbc news whoever until a local reporter does it. Um, so I was a local reporter in, in my day. I can't tell you how many times wire services, um, one of my stories wound up on the Rachel Maddow show. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and uh, 
but uh but yeah a lot of times the local ones are doing the groundwork even for the for the national guys so definitely local news i'm a little i lean towards local newspapers a little more um as far as going bigger and more in depth um again i lean towards a lot of the print sources because again they just have more time um so I typically will go to um, news outlets such as the Washington Post, New York Times, uh, ones that have been judged to not be very hyper-partisan. Some people consider the Washington Post or New York Times or other newspapers to be such, but a lot of times that depends on somebody's individual viewpoint. Uh, for more in-depth stuff, I tend to go to magazine-type publications like The Economist, The Atlantic, um, now for broadcast, um, I tend to also look, uh, like Josh at a lot of satirical programs, particularly, um, I have watched, uh, last week tonight with John Oliver a lot, and as well as full frontal, full frontal with Samantha B, not only because, um, well, especially with John Oliver, there's much more depth to what, uh, what he covers, um, and he has a lot more creative control, namely where he works with a pay channel uh, versus, say, you know, basic cable or especially over broadcast. Um, but with um, John Oliver and Samantha B, a lot of times they're covering the material that for either time or advertiser control or reader interest um, that a lot of mainstream sources, local and national, aren't even touching. So, um, for example, John Oliver's bit on special districts, um, on chicken farmers, um, some of Samantha Bee's pieces on uh, reproductive access and the, um, the federal bureaucracy being shrunk down and shrunk down and shrunk down of uh, good employees over the past few years. Um, we uh there's there's a lot more depth to it one thing that i do in terms of judging see sometimes like like dr Birkenposs, i'll check out you know some of the more conservative uh, talk radio or likewise some of the stuff uh, some of the material that you see on the left the like just to kind of get a view of what the more heated stuff is but one thing that i use to judge you know, like, hey, should I really pay attention to this? I always say, <clears throat> sorry, look for a thermometer. Think of a me mental thermometer when you're trying to decide, gee, should I read this? Should I believe this or not? Because if you're seeing a headline that says something that's just super inflammatory, uh, something crazy. Sometimes it'll be in all caps with exclamation points, even. Um, if something just seems off the charts crazy in terms of its tone, in other words, it's a, it's a 10 versus a five, right? And uh, when we're talking about the heat, if you're seeing something, whatever way it leans, right or left, that just seems like it's just a little too hot to handle, a lot of times that's when the alarm, your fire alarm in your head should be going off as to whether or not this, this is really credible. 
Well, I'll jump in here on my news where I get my news. Um, so I'm a native Minnesotan. So I grew up with uh, the Star and Tribune as our print source in the cities. Uh, when I moved down to the Mankato area, though, I found that we have KEYC for the local broadcast and then Mankato Free Press. And then I live in a smaller town that also has a weekly newspaper. So I'm blessed that way that I get uh, various levels. However, unlike you guys, I don't do national print news. I actually go international, like Al Jazeera English, uh, BBC, because I find that their perspectives on what's going on in the United States is sometimes more informed than our national perspectives of that. Um, and because I study terrorism, it's always easier for me to get better and more global coverage than um, sticking with our nationals. I do watch the national news. Um, we're we're kind of limited on channels where I'm at, um, but I also try to pick up some of the Twin Cities news as well. Um, I I am I will admit I am not one to watch the late shows because they drive me crazy. <laughs> Uh, so it's always really interesting. So now both of you have lived in different areas of the country as well. So I'm going to ask you this question. Do you find your news consumption change depending on the area you lived in um, and why? So I'm going to start with Dr. Pridemore because she's done both Florida and Texas as well as other areas. So did you find your news consumption changed? Why and how did it change? So, uh, so the thing that the thing that uh, affected me was, um, in terms of the news that I consumed, was the concentration of ownership in a given area, as well as just you know how financially well off a given area was. So I'm a West Virginia native, and I also I started my career in Ohio, just across the border uh, from what, uh, West Virginia and Kentucky. Um, but I can tell you that, especially where, uh, at the paper where I started out, I mean, we had hardworking reporters, not just me, but hardworking reporters who just absolutely busted their tails to do the best, uh, do as well as we could and do an awesome job, won lots of awards, but we only had a newsroom staff of six people. Um, we could only cover so much, especially if you're talking about a super decentralized government like you have in Ohio. Um, in the one ca uh, county of 50,000 people, mostly Appalachian, where I worked in Ohio, we had seven local school districts in a place with uh, and seven school board superintendents, et cetera, in a county of 50,000 people. When I teach state and local government, I always say that places that are county only, like West Virginia and Florida, when it comes to their school boards, okay, Miami-Dade County in Florida, where I did my PhD work, um, there's one school district for all of Miami-Dade County, which is uh, just under 3 million people. So you have one board for 3 million people, meaning only one school board to cover if you're a media outlet versus, and I mean, we're talking, and we're talking about Miami, right? Where there's much more money than there is in Southern Ohio. One school board for 3 million people versus seven that you somehow have to try to cover. And we couldn't, we just couldn't with that many school districts and, and as low resources as we had. The other thing is with, with West Virginia, so that's where I spent the bulk of my reporting career was in West Virginia, where I spent the bulk of my life. That's where I come from, right? Um, so what's happened in West Virginia, particularly in very recent years, has been there's one 
company um, called HD Media. Um, they have basically gone and bought every newspaper in the state practically. Um, so a lot of times when you have very few owners owning, uh, also you got to keep in mind with deregulation, a lot of them, the same companies will also own broadcast outlets in the same market too. So what happens is, is when you have few owners and multiple media outlets, well, even if there's three newspapers and, and two television stations covering a given market, well, if they're owned by the same people, you're going to see the same stuff. Um, so a lot of times, and it's very easy to go in and buy a small town paper if you're a major corporate outlet, then buy the Miami Herald or um, the Austin Statesman, uh, where where I was living after I lived in um, after I lived in Florida. But still, yet yeah, even outlets like the Statesman has changed corporate hands. Um, you know, it's been um, in in Texas in particular, even before a lot of regulations were relaxed in terms of media ownership um, in Dallas for years on end, a an outlet was grandfathered before restrictions were put in place that were eventually lifted on ownership of broadcast and print outlets in a market. So in Dallas, there was uh, the Dallas Morning News that also owned a broad uh, that also was under the same ownership of a broadcast outlet but now the regulations have been lifted and lifted and lifted so much to where basically just one entity can own so much and you often find out that content is spread amongst these outlets so so a lot of times you literally don't have very many choices when there's a big domino effect. Yeah, you see this in in um, in smaller, poorer areas more often, but you sometimes still see it in ma uh, major metropolitan areas as well. Interesting, Dr. Birkenpass. What about you? Yeah, so I came from uh, Michigan. Uh, my PhD in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and you know, when you move to a new place, one of the first things you try to do is get the get the lay of the land, right? So I uh, start paying attention to the local newspapers. Um, one of the things I I like Facebook for, um, Twitter to an extent as well, as you can like all of these pages, right, and they show up on your news feed. So you know, I didn't have the the local news sources, um, you know, in my news feed prior to moving to southern Minnesota. Uh, so you figure out what those news sources are. Um, again, you try to um, include as much as possible, uh, so you get the the fullest picture uh, of what's going on uh, in the world around you. Um, so in that way, um, I suppose news consumption, uh, or at least the sources of news, uh, change. Um, I'd also talk a little bit about, um, I suppose, the the power of word of mouth, right, um, to influence the news stories that you find uh, interesting. Uh, you know, in the before time, uh, we would, for example, run into each other in the hallways, and inevitably some sort of news story would come to. Uh, enter into the discussion, um, sort of water cooler type uh, discussions. And sometimes, you know, people bring up things you haven't heard of. So you got to do a little investigation yourself um, and you become informed in that way. Um, I suppose the closest analog right now in the Zoom world is 
still like to do current events uh, in my classes. Um, and inevitably, students bring up stories. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, right? Um, and I try to connect it to some sort of course content. But every now and again, they'll bring something up. I have no idea what they're talking about. So, right after class, make a little note, uh, check it out. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's a really interesting story that I can use, um, you know, to um, intro the, the next class period. Um, but, you know, People are out there, they're talking, right? Um, not just on social media, but talking to their family members, coworkers, and things like this. Um, and that is another way that uh, news stories can uh, circulate. So really kind of what we've talked about is the value of multiple types of media, um, making sure that you're not just listening to what you wanna hear, right? Cause you guys both talked about checking out different political opinions from yourselves. Um, the actual sharing of information between people is still news, right? Going back and forth. And that is not always just broadcast media that we uh, focus on. All right, so um, let's wrap up with your final thoughts. So if you had somebody just moving new to the area, maybe an international student coming in and they come to you and say, where should I start watching and learning news about the United States? What, would you, what kind of advice would you give them? And uh, Dr. Birkenboss, we'll start with you and then we'll end with Dr. Primore here. I'd probably say I would probably direct them towards, uh, you know, social media. I would direct them towards um, uh, Facebook and Twitter and things like this, where you can like different news outlets. Um, you know, when you like, let's just say New York Times, for example, on Facebook, it gives you a bunch of helpful suggestions. So while you're there, you can like, uh, you know, BBC or Washington Post or whatever else comes up. Um, start building your news feed and you'll start to get um, a lot of interesting stories, um, you know, that are being put out by these major uh, publications. I would probably also tell them, um, you know, that uh, American uh, society and American news uh, um, environment is incredibly complex, right? So be patient, right? It's not all going to make sense right away. Um, it takes uh, a long time to, you know, perhaps you'll never fully understand, but to try to make sense of all of this complexity, uh, to try to, uh, I suppose, build a capacity for being comfortable with that complexity. Um, and I suppose, um, I guess with the idea that if you're looking for the truth, um, you may not find it, right? Um, being comfortable and knowing that um, stories are evolving and changing all the time. Again, we get to this idea of uh, perspective and finding multiple sources for uh, your news. Dr. Pridemore, what would be your advice? So, um, and I've actually had this conversation sometimes with, um, with people who are new to the United States, whether it be a, a international students, recent immigrants. And the first thing that I would make sure to let them know is, you know, this is in, in this country, we do have this ideal of having an independent non-state controlled state media, uh, non-state controlled media. Um, because this is not the rule in a lot of other countries, and explain what I, what I explained before about the importance of having uh, that independent voice that's a check and balance and a watchdog on the government for the people, um, and kind of maybe contrast that with some of the things that we've seen in state-controlled outlets in other countries, such as um, such as this, um, and it, it could be anywhere from the inflammatory to, you know, my, my political opponent is so terrible, let me tell you, let me do this hit piece on him to the ridiculous, such as 
in Turkmenistan when there were rumors that their dictator was dead. Um, they not only didn't just come out and say, hey, our dictator isn't dead, but they did this ridiculous bit to show how strong he was. So, you know, part of their show did this ridiculous bit about how strong he was by having him doing donuts in a Jeep around a fire pit. Um, this is, uh, when you have an independent non-state controlled media these are things that you are trying to avoid so this is this is one of our principles behind this independent voice in this country does it always work that way with uh with all the puppeteers uh controlling a lot of what you see in here not exactly but we don't want to have what I just described to you when you have a lot of state controlled media. So that's one thing I would definitely tell uh, an international arrival. Um, the other thing that I would say is kind of like what I said before of, you know, using that thermometer. Is this, if it's too hot to handle, it's too hot to consume. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't eat the cake right after it comes out of the oven, right? You're going to get burned. Well, the same thing happens when something is just, hmm, is it too good to be true? It probably is. And a lot of times you can tell that when it just seems like the temperature is just way too hot. Um, I'd also direct them towards a lot of the sources that Dr. Birkenpas and I have talked about, such as um, local newspapers, local television. And the other thing that I would make sure to note is that it's not perfect. Um, a lot of times you will see things that you may uh, not want to see and hear, but it's important to a lot of times listen to what you don't want to see and hear sometimes because as part of a democracy, um, you even if you walk away still disagreeing, you've at least maybe come with an understanding as to why uh, other people have different ideals than you. And that's, and that's part of a free exchange in a democratic society. Well, that was just beautifully said. We're just going to end with that, though. So thank you both for talking about, you know, why, what news you consume and why. And uh, I appreciate having you here and hopefully we'll have you guys back again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash Let's Talk Gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.